Hey everybody, welcome back in to the 6AM Run Podcast. I am your host, Mark Paisant. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the podcast today. Like always, this podcast is brought to you by 6AM Run and 6AMRun.com. Head over to the website for what I believe are some of the best running supplements and apparel in the world and sign up and get up to 20% off of your order. And we have a good show for you this week. We have, and I'm going to say this correctly because I've done it before, we have Rahul Singh. He is here from the Bearded Mystic Podcast, speaks on spirituality, speaks on Hinduism, religion, and you're probably wondering why do we have this person on a running podcast? Well, as Hami always says, this is not always about running, it's about a lot more. So Rahul, thank you so much for joining the show. If you don't mind, kind of just introduce yourself for everybody. Well, thank you for bringing me on the show. Uh, I've listened to a few episodes and I'm a fan already. So yeah, it's an honor for me. So a bit about me. I have a day job. I work in HR at a corporate and yet my interest is in spirituality. So I'm 34 years. I'm married. I've live a householder's life. I'm in the thick of it in terms of life. So I'm not some monk out there that is in a cave or in a jungle or just teaching about this. I literally have to practice this. So uh, because of that, I thought, why not have a podcast? And that's when I brought out the Bearded Mystic podcast. And what it is really is an introduction first to Hinduism and then the non-duality philosophy along with learning from different traditions as well. So not totally being exclusive to one faith, but seeing that actually there is a universal truth in each of the mystical traditions in religion. So that's a bit about me. I mean, I've been studying spirituality for over 20 years now with great intent. So I appreciate that. Kind of explain for those that, you know, we hear, we're in America, we hear a lot about the the Western cultures, not so much about Eastern, kind of explain Hinduism, what people get wrong, what people can learn from it. And, you know, and I'm not, of course, I'm not asking you to explain this entire religion in a couple minutes, but kind <laughs> of what's the high points of Hinduism that people can, can learn from? That is a good question because with Hinduism, it is a very vast religion. You have many philosophies. You can be a believer in a God, or you could be an atheist or an agnostic and still be a Hindu. So it's very vast in its philosophies and its approaches. And mainly Hinduism is about having a method, which we call dharma, your own personal dharma, your own personal righteous path. And there are some universal truths and one of the universal truths is that there is an ultimate reality. And that is what we call in the non-dual philosophy of Advaita Vedanta as Brahman. And that is attributeless. So it's not something separate to you. It's actually infused within life and infused within you. It's everywhere. It's all pervading. So a lot of people tend to think we have like 33 million, I don't know, there's crazy numbers I've heard of gods that we have. We don't necessarily have that. They're called deities is the better word or figures, divine figures where we are inspired by or we give gratitude to. Like, for example, we give gratitude to the sun because without the sun, we wouldn't be here. So it's just appreciation and that's it. So, and then, you know, obviously there's lots of rituals depending on, your family is while you're bringing. Uh, some of us don't have any rituals. 
that we follow. So yeah, so that's it really. And we don't have a central text, although there are three main texts that you'll find every, most traditions within Hinduism will follow. And that is the Bhagavad Gita, which you've probably heard of because it's talked about a lot. Then there's the Upanishads and then the lesser known Brahma Sutras or Vedanta Sutras. They are the three main texts that Every Hindu should really study, but they don't. <laughs> but that's a whole different story. <laughs> yeah, we don't, we don't have to get to that right now. So I, I appreciate that. So you, we were talking earlier about kind of the people who listen to this podcast are mostly runners, older runners, who kind of a lot of them have gotten back into fitness because of running. And we kind of find at least what I did when I got back into running, there is a very spiritual feeling about once you hit that sweet spot, once you, you you like the cadence, the quietness, the, it's just you and the road. And, you know, you speak on spirituality a lot. You speak on being at one, being at peace. And I, I want you to talk a little bit about what spirituality means to you, what you define it as, because there is a difference. You know, a lot of people can you know, kind of combine spirituality and religion. A lot of people do that, but they're their own thing a lot of the time. So in your opinion, like, what does spirituality mean to you? How do you use it? How does somebody become one with the spirit? That is the question that I hope that every seeker that comes across my podcast is asking. And that is, how can we be spiritual? And you mentioned running and uh, how you can get into the zone and spirituality is about getting into the zone and that zone where there's only your awareness and then you see this whole beautiful canvas of life and its beauty and you can see divinity infused within it but you are that awareness to witness the observer that is in that zone so literally as a runner goes into the zone while they're running a spiritual person should be in moment to moment the aim is is to be in that awareness at all times now the question there would be well how can i then perform my actions for example at work i'm gonna have to look at excel spreadsheets i can't be in awareness right i have to perform my tasks so what i tend to tell people there is your awareness can go in the background and you can do your activity in the forefront but that doesn't mean you lose your awareness you just shift your focus to something else so that for me is what spirituality will entail. And it's literally about knowing yourself. When I talk about awareness, it's about knowing who you are or what you are really. The thing within you that is changeless, that hasn't changed despite the body aging, the mind going through so many thoughts and memories, but the watcher within all of these beautiful phenomenon of life is actually just the same. If you want, you can call that Advaita Vedanta of Hinduism, of non-duality. But I don't think it's the same as God, though, because of the religious context. So, yeah, so you just go into that awareness and you can see this as an experiment. So, for example, if you look at when you were the first memory of you being you, say that was at two or three years old and you became a bit conscious of yourself, then from three to ten to 15 and then so on if you add each uh, plus five years to your life till you get to the age you're at now you've been watching that but the watcher hasn't changed even in the morning as you brushed your teeth got ready 
to the person sitting here in this chair or wherever you are right now, that witness is the same, despite the body and the mind doing so much just in the morning. So spirituality is about coming home to yourself and actually understanding that that is what you are. And I just will end with a very short description that is given in the Bhagavad Gita by uh, Lord Krishna. And that is, he says that what you are is sat, which is, it means real, because it is changeless. And he says, whatever is a sat, unreal, is always changing. So your body will change, your mind will change, but the witness consciousness within will never change. So that's what you are. And that's what he reveals in there. And that was was such a great answer to that question. And a follow-up to that, I think, Mm -hmm. would be this this action of becoming, you know, what you kind of explain spirituality as just noticing yourself, becoming one with yourself, noticing your your actions, things like that. Is that something that needs to be intentional, at least to start? Or is that something that can happen as a byproduct? And in your opinion, do people like need to be intentional to find that sweet spot to get in that zone? I think so. I think effort needs to be done. A lot of times people do approach this aspect of spirituality and they get to it directly, but then they think they've got it. So they have this, they may have an awakening experience and then they stop there. They think they have everything. And literally, I would say, if you take them to a restaurant and say the server gets their order wrong, you will notice that their awakening disappears and they will get angry and they will get frustrated when they don't have to. So a lot of people, they tend to have their first experience of the divine, of spirituality, and they think that's it. But I think it's a continuous process where you have to continuously self-reflect and analyze yourself and be honest, be authentic. Because a lot of times, if we don't, I say, if you don't have those basic things of honesty and authenticity in your spirituality, don't bother being spiritual. Then it's going to become a facade, which I see a lot of, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think that that plays perfectly into running and fitness, especially for me, because I, I had so many issues with just thinking if I showed up, that was enough. You know, if I went for a run or, or you know, maybe go, went to the gym and I'm on the right track, that's I, I may do this again tomorrow, I may not. And it wasn't until I got intentional with what I wanted out of life, what I wanted from myself, basically. And I think you hit a lot of great points. And, you know, you spoke a little bit about divinity as being a part of it. Is there a need to believe in in God or a God with spirituality or even with Hinduism? You kind of mentioned that you can be agnostic or atheist, but in our intentional process of going in to become more spiritual, do we need to believe in a God? Not necessarily. It's not needed. It's not required or, you know, you won't be condemned if you are an atheist. In fact, I feel that an atheist has a better chance at understanding spirituality than a theist because a theist already has their preconceived notions. They already have their idea of God. Therefore, what really they experience is their idea of of God rather than actually seeing reality as it is, which an atheist may more likely have that mentality. Not saying that all atheists will. There are some atheists that may be closed-minded and they'll just be shut off to the whole 
to reality itself. So it's just about the individual understanding what is best for them. So in some aspects of Hinduism, the, mainly the dualistic traditions, they will say it's necessary to have a personal God. But in Advaita Vedanta, we can say you can use God if you must, but you know what? You don't have to because it's a reality, not something you're worshipping. And that's the key because how can you worship that which you already are? So that, that, is, that is a that's a great question. I think we all need to pause for a minute and just kind of <laughs> think about that question. You're absolutely correct about that. And I think that answer, and I, you probably already know this, so I don't want to assume that I think that answer might upset a few people. It might and say, no, like you have to believe in God, like that's the only way. But you know, you bring up some good points that you know, preconceived notions can cloud our thinking sometimes assumptions can make us act in ways that we believe are the right things to do, but we need to kind of clear our head, get to a point where we can think, you know, on a level plane and not just go after something we already believe is there. And one of the ways we can do that, and a lot of runners know this, running is their form of meditation, but in regard to, and I know meditation is a big part of Hinduism and spirituality, you know, What's a good way for people to meditate? If, if someone's listening and it's like, I want to get my physical and my mental health at the same spot and I want to learn how to meditate, I want to learn to be more mindful. Mm -hmm. How do we meditate? That's a good question. And one thing I will use as a caveat, because there's a lot of uh, spiritual teachers out there that will tell you that meditation is a cure for everything. And I will say it isn't. And what I will say if you do have uh, any mental health issues, it's best to first have a therapist and then do meditation on the side because it's very important to address those mental health issues. So I do recommend that to anyone that takes my advice, you know, speaks to me personally. I always advise that. But in terms of meditation, there's many things you can do. There's a process I've already started to create where I do use actually a personal, someone may use their personal God, if they may, or a personal, someone who they look up to, or a spiritual ideal. So I do have a technique which utilizes that, but sometimes I don't use that. And I go straight to awareness, where I would say, just be aware of the breath, or take a deep breath in, and in inhalation of the breath, think of joy, and grace, or blessings, or happiness, peace, and then breathe out any agitation you have, any suffering, any conflict, breathe that out. So there's many different techniques that I use. It's all dependent on the individual. When we do meditation as a collective, I have a process that we go through and people can attend that on Saturdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. But it's virtual, it's free for everyone. But the main thing is, if someone was going to ask me personally, I'll have to see where they are if I'm honest. But the best thing to do, I would advise anyone that become friends with your mind. So just observe your mind. Just observe your thoughts. Don't condemn thoughts. You know, a lot of people want to get rid of thoughts. I'm like, no, embrace them. Just watch them. Don't go into the um, kind of the tunnel of thought. Just allow the thought to travel by like what I say, your awareness is like the blue sky and thoughts are like the clouds. Just let the clouds pass by you are that blue sky that's unaffected by thought. You're just watching, you're just witnessing or emotion, anything. So sometimes I think, first of all, it's best to befriend the mind, 
than actually make it into the enemy, which a lot of um, spiritual teachers tend to do when they say, you know, the mind is the enemy, get rid of your thoughts, you know. I've tried for the longest time to get rid of thoughts and I've been unsuccessful so far. So <laughs> that's a great talking point. And I think you're kind of talking about two things there. One, of course, is the mindfulness part of the meditation and, and you know, kind of learning to live within yourself and ex- and validate yourself at the moment, know where you are, like, and be okay with that. And, you know, the second part of that is just being a friend to yourself, like treating yourself like you're your own best friend. And I don't think a lot of people do that, especially we'll have a plan to go on a long, like today I'm going to do a long run. I'm going to do a six, seven, eight mile run, whatever. And and by mile two and a half, our legs are dead, our our feet are tired and we have to cut it short. And we automatically think of that as a failure. We failed. We curse ourselves. We think we're not good enough. And we start to beat ourselves up. And that leads to not wanting to run the next day. That leads to us overeating or doing something that's a a negative coping mechanism or a method that we use. So I think you're absolutely spot on with that. And one of the things and what you're doing here today is you're kind of, and you do this on your show, you kind of simplify, you know, what people can get one out of Hinduism and you simplify the spirituality part of it because you believe, and I I kind of on the same page with you is that we kind of overcomplicate things. And I think the best part of running is that how simple it can be. But somehow, some way, we complicate something that is just a quicker version of walking. But we complicate it. We we can't get the right shoes. We have to get this equipment. It's got to be 85 degrees, but today it's 87. Like, I just, do I eat before? Do I eat after? Like, we complicate things that are so, or can be so simple. And I kind of want to ask you two questions. Like one, why do you think people complicate, you know, the spirituality and just becoming one with themselves? And two, how do people take this, what they think is complicated and simplify it? I personally think whenever we complicate something, there is conflict within us to actually do that thing. So for example, if I want to truly practice spirituality, I'll think of a thousand reasons why I don't want to. You know, for example, I would say, oh, I'm married. So, you know, how can I be spiritual? Or they claim that I have to be celibate, but I'm married and I have a wife and I obviously we make love. So how can we, how can you marry those things up? So, you know, people like to think of excuses or, oh, I go to work. I don't have time. You know, someone once asked me, I don't have time to meditate. What do I do? I said, do you have time to go to the toilet? Yeah. I said, you can meditate there then. And they were like, but that's the toilet. Isn't that dirty? I went, I don't care. If you're telling me you don't have time, I'm going to go for anything. You know, so for me, I think when people complicate anything is they have conflict and they need to address the conflict. And that's where a suitable teacher will be able to unravel that and tell people, you know what, you're complicating it. You don't need to do this. This is the issue at hand. Let's work on it. And one word of warning when I say that the teacher shouldn't give you the answer. You should be discovering the answer. The teacher should be inviting you to discover it. Uh, they may give you a bit of a hint here and there, but they should be making you do the work. So, and what's your second question again? Sorry. Oh, it's just how do people, I think you kind of answered both because it was like, how do people, you know, simplify what they believe is complicated? And you kind of answered that too. And of course, of course, we both can say that it's easier said than done. You're, we're still talking about the human mind. We're still talking about 
and you said this about conflict, like we will figure out ways to sabotage ourselves. We will do it. I have a family. I have a really hard job. I just switched jobs. I just moved. I don't have time. I don't have money, all this kind of stuff. And it's, you know, sometimes it takes a person on the outside looking in saying, oh, you go to the bathroom, meditate. Like, what, what do you mean? And no, I can't. Well, why not? Tell me why not? And that, I tell you what, I'm sure there's a lot of runners listening right now that probably at one point in their life said, I don't have time to run. And then what happens, at least what I can see from, from my experience is that you make time one day, then you make time a second day and you're like, wait a second, I got everything done today I was supposed to. Plus I had time to run. Plus I had time to meditate. Plus I had time to think about my spirituality. You know, it's amazing how these things kind of line up when we just are intentional about what we want or not what we want, what we need, basically. So may I add something? Sure, go ahead. Yeah. One thing also that I see a lot of times when I speak to people is they separate uh, spirituality with life or material life. I say this, merge them together as one, Uh, you know, just see it as a spiritual life and material life is part of it. And Otherwise, what happens is we're living one self in material life or work, you know, where there's work, there's home, there's all this, all our roles and responsibilities. And then there's a spiritual life where we do probably once a week or something and we act all holy. But then when we go back to material life, we're like these uh, devils in disguise. Uh, so, and I, and I always tell like people who like on my lives that this creates schizophrenia when we do that. We've already created a split mind. So therefore, unify the mind and just see everything as part of spirituality, which it is. You know, you can do everything as an act of divine. It's just about the way you see life and the way you see everything. And you speak a lot about non-duality and about that philosophy, you know, one eternal spirit in existence. And I kind of want you to speak about that because not everybody kind of believes that you're a believer in that. And it one, if you could kind of explain your understanding of non-duality, what it is and, and how you use it and how others can use it in their search for being more spiritual in their lives. Absolutely. And the reason why I follow non-duality and why I think it's a credible and an amazing philosophy is because it tells me that there is only one reality or one consciousness, one awareness, or just oneness itself. That automatically gets rid of anything where I feel there is the other. So when I think about it, I can't hate another person because then I'll be hating myself. I can't dislike someone else because that will mean I'm disliking myself. I can relate things on a transactional level, like on the relative plane that, yeah, I may have likes and dislikes. Like I'm not a huge fan of pineapple on pizza. So, but you know, I may, I dislike it. But the thing is, it should never turn into hate is what I'm trying to say. It's like, or I won't say that the pineapple isn't this one reality or isn't pure consciousness. I will see the pineapple as consciousness, but it's temporary form is something I'm not a fan of when it's on pizza. So, so it's just seeing that oneness and understanding that we are only here because of 
consciousness. The only reason why we're able to taste something, smell something, go for a run, do any activity is because of consciousness. We can be self-aware of ourselves. I don't think any animal yet that we know of is able to do that. And that's the unique thing that we have. And the reason why I like non-duality is because this philosophy of there just being this one reality that is within everything and is everything has been talked about by the Hindu sages thousands and thousands of years ago. And they're coming up with the same things that someone like Bernardo Castrop is talking about or Rupert Spira is talking about. And, you know, and now we're, you know, this hard problem of consciousness. Well, it wasn't a problem for these ancient sages. They gave the answer, which is there is only this one Brahman, this only one supreme ultimate reality or pure consciousness. So for me, that was the most, and that was my experience as well of pure oneness. I couldn't see myself as separate to anything. And because I felt that and experienced it, I knew it was right theoretically. So experience should give weight to any theory. That's number one. And two, to get anyone to understand this, I would say it's really important. A lot of people do approach non-duality and they end up saying something crazy like, well, there's no self, there's no realization, there's no you, it's all, it's, there's no story, get rid of your story. Those people who have that kind of weird point of view, I, that is not non-duality in the understanding that has been given by the ancient sages in Hinduism. And it's always important to have a strong foundation. And that's what I tell people a lot, that the strong foundation is important of understanding the scriptures and then one having your practice, and then marrying the two together. Otherwise, if you just have one experience, you can fall under that trap of neo-advaita, as they call it in, in today's circles. I really love that answer because it connects everything. It says, I get, you know, if I hate my brother, I hate myself. If I put negative energy out in the world, I'm doing the same to myself. And we can learn a lot from that because e even if we don't believe in something like that, we can still use those teachings to be kinder human beings, Yes, to be nicer neighbors, to be more empathetic, whichever spectrum of political or social, you know, thought process you're on. We can at least use levels of empathy that we haven't used before. Yes. I would just add that, um, in fact, the beauty of the pandemic showed us how we are all one. And it's a very subtle message that the virus showed us. I don't think everyone grasped it, but it literally showed us we are one. And well, I um, mean, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't, you can't make it drink. So um, uh, th there's a reason people say that. But, uh, yeah. but what I'm saying is that you know, that actually also helped me understand that we're all one. And it made it very clear that not only, you know, on, on a consciousness level, on awareness level, we're all one, but even materially, uh, physiologically, biologically, we're all one. And I really liked that. That was a big lesson I think I learned. Right. That's great. Again, I am chatting today with Rahul Singh. He is the host and I love this name of the podcast, the Bearded Mystic Podcast. And if someone listens to your show, what are they going to get out of your show? What are they going to hear? What things do you talk about? What things do you go over while you're recording your show? 
So there's a few things we do. So one is I go over the Bhagavad Gita, so I'm doing my own commentary on it. And the interesting thing there, um, I have had a lot of young people approach me and say, you know what, when we go to the temple, they complicate it. You make it simple so we can understand. And that was the whole aim was how can I make the Bhagavad Gita something accessible today and in a non-dual sense. And then I also look at the wisdom of the mystics. So I look at mystics from all different traditions. So previously I've looked at Guru Nanak Dev Ji of Sikhism, Rumi of Islam or Sufism, Meister Eckhart from Christianity and just um, now Lao Tzu of Taoism. So we're constantly, so I'm doing that as well. And then I'm also having conversations with other people. That's more of a Patreon only one. So that's subscriber only that, to have access to that. But, you know, people can get guided meditations on there. And I've also done like little topics here and there, you know, explaining things like what does satsang mean? Like, you know, when we kind of get together as a community and different kind of themes in Hinduism, I've discussed very briefly. So they can get a lot from it. And then the one thing I do do very religiously is I do try to do a live stream every other week or every week, once a week or twice a week, where I do live reactions on YouTube of uh, different videos of some spiritual teachers. And some of them are, you know, I admire them and some of them are ones that I will criticize heavily mm. so so it's, i mean it's all good fun it's nothing. Yeah. yeah there's a lot of people can get yeah that's good you sometimes you kind of wish that everyone was genuine and everyone yeah. was saying the right thing <laughs> online but we, it's 2022 and, and everybody has a smartphone and everybody has a platform so yeah. you kind yeah. of I, i'll definitely have to check that out so thank you so much for being a part of the show before i let you go i kind of want to ask you this question because you know a lot of people listening may be in a spot where they're trying to get back into fitness, trying to get back into a body they feel comfortable in, trying mentally trying to get there and find their purpose in this world, in their life. And is purpose something that for yourself personally that you found is something you're working on every day? What do you think your purpose is and have you gotten there and and how do you get there? A good question, because for me, you know, my purpose in life is to become liberated and to be free from the cycle of birth and death. That's the aim in non-duality or Advaita Vedanta. Uh, so that's my purpose is to work on my spirituality each and every day, try and improve. I can be very self-critical. I do put myself under a huge microscope every day and to see where I've messed up and also appreciate where I've done quite well. We need to be balanced in that. And then because of that, I want to then share anything I learn with others because I feel the more you share, uh, the more you then open avenues of learning again. And I learn a lot from my listeners as much as they may claim they learn from me. I learn a lot from them. And yeah, so I think having purpose is really important. It gives you a direction. So I know where I need to go. I don't know if I'll ever achieve it or maybe I've already achieved it and I don't want other people to know. Mm -hmm, So there is that. You never know. I I love that. And I think one of the best quotes I ever heard was, uh, I I forgot where I heard it, but someone says we have only two things to do in life. The first is to learn as much as we can. And the second is to teach others as much as we've learned. 
Wow. Because I don't really, I'll be honest with you, I don't really pay attention to, to much of the cliche saying, but someone said that to me and I was like, that, that's so simple yet so profound. Yes. Because we want to learn from previous generations, either what to do or what not to do it or ways to do it. And we want to yes. teach our kids. We want to teach them the ways to do things. So Rahul, thank you so much for being a part of the show. This was amazing. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. As always, head over to 6amrun.com for some great supplements and apparel. Sign up for up to 20% off of your order and head over to the Bearded Mystic Podcast. You can, we'll, we'll share some of the information and you kind of mentioned some other stuff you're involved in. Rahul, how do people get in contact with you online? How do they see you? How do they get in touch with you? What's some of the things you're involved in and how, how do they find you online? So yeah, well, my podcast is available on all podcast streaming apps and there's a video version of my beautiful face on uh, with a beard uh, in front of the screen on YouTube. So you can watch the podcast in the video format. But yeah, I'm on all social media, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, so I'm on all of those on Patreon as well, if people want to support uh, what I do. So yeah, and you can either email me at beardedmysticpodcasts at gmail.com. So yeah. My usernames for the other social media ones are all here, there, and everywhere because of restrictions and stuff like that. So, well, I'm sure people will we'll put a link to your at least your podcast website so people get in contact with you. Yeah. Thank you so much for being a part of this show. It was a very good conversation. And like I said, people go and take a listen to his podcast. And if you want to, head over to YouTube and see him do some uh, reaction videos. To some good and some not so good spiritual advice. So thank you, Rahul. I appreciate you being a part of the show. Thank you. Thank you very much.